All right, good morning and welcome to this session of my Level Up series. I am super excited. It is November 12th. And to all of you that have uh, tuned in through any one of our social networks or are watching this via live stream, uh, welcome and thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time. Today's a super exciting day and it's it's so fitting that it is a day after Remembrance Day because my guest this morning and the story that she is going to share actually began uh, with a story of a soldier, you know, doing some peace uh, mission uh, work in Afghanistan. And we're going to talk about Captain Trevor Green and the influence that it had on Barb Stegman. For those of you that know Barb, some of you will, some of you won't. She is an absolute remarkable woman. You know, we often talk about making the world a better place, doing our part, and this individual truly is making the world a better place. She truly is going into the villages and is, you know, uh, you know, uh, raising them up. She had a normal life in 2000 and 2006 when her best friend, as I said, uh, took a axe through the head and it launched this incredible journey, this mission. And looking back now, I'll just give you some of the highlights of that mission. Barb not only attended um, and presented on Dragon's Den and found her partner today on it, but she was also recognized by Dragon's Den many years later as the top game changer on the show and its history. She has a company called Seven Virtues, a company that sources organic, fair trade, essential oils from war-torn countries and regions experiencing turmoil like turmoil like Afghanistan and Rwanda and Haiti, the Middle East. Her perfume line today is one of the top sellers uh, on Sephora or in Sephora in both Canada and the USA. If that isn't enough, she is the best-selling author of The Seven Virtues of a Philosopher Queen. Uh, I've read the book. My wife is reading the book now. Uh, it is such an incredible, I mean, there's such an incredible book. The messaging in this was just an aha moment in so many ways for me. She was also identified and ranked as one of the top 100 most powerful women in Canada. She won the Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Award for Emerging um, Entrepreneur category. She's also the subject of an incredible 90-minute documentary called Perfume Wars. And then Profit Guide magazine named her as one of the top 30 cool and fabulous Canadian entrepreneurs, which I completely agree with. What a cool list to be named on. And then lastly, and I think for me, the one that ties it all together, the feather on, you know, in her cap is she was also the first honorary colonel in the history of the 14 wing Greenwood base in the Royal Canadian Air Force. Barb. Good afternoon to you. Good morning for all of our people in the uh, West. Hello, Gary. Thanks for having me. What a fabulous intro. I'm like, wow, she seems pretty cool. She's a very, very <laughs> cool uh, woman, I got to tell you. I got to hang out with her. I, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and listen, thank you for taking the time today. Uh, your story really is remarkable. And, and you know, uh, it's a it really is a peace mission. Uh, and I think that's how it all started. And uh, it was very humble beginnings. I mean, you were... Um, you know, it was 2006 when your best friend uh, was obviously in Afghanistan as a soldier. 
And his job as a Afghan soldier was to bring peace. And he would actually interview, um, you know, the um, the leaders, uh, the elders in these in 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 these in, in Afghanistan at the time. And of course, uh, when he was sitting down, he'd taken his helmet off to show some respect. And a a 16 year old boy came up behind him and split an axe, uh, you know, through the middle of his head. And I know that alone ignited your mission. Maybe tell us about that story, how it all began, and uh, and why this mission that you launched uh, has meant so much to you. Yeah, yeah, well, Trevor was my mentor and friend in university. Uh, you know, he'd push me to grow harder and ask better questions, and you know, he would leave a party at King's just to make sure that a girl got home safely. And he wrote the book on the missing women in Vancouver uh, before people were really uh, taking note. Uh, so he'd always cared deeply, and he was a CIMIC officer, uh, which meant that his job in Afghanistan was to talk to the local community and discuss what are your needs, roads, schools, education, health care. And you're right, he was. He took his helmet off as a sign of respect. And so uh, severely wounded um, and, and, you know, so blessed to have such an incredible mentor in my life. I, I was fortunate that I lived in Vancouver at the time, and I could visit him three days a week in the hospital. And that's where we went on this journey together. I, you know, you would do anything for your best friend. They would do anything for you. So I told them I'd take on his mission of peace. And then I realized I didn't have a way, you know, I'm not a brave soldier, I'm not a world leader, but I realized that women own the buying power. 80% of all household decisions are made by women. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought, what if we could harness that power and, and bring about change? So I wrote the book, The Seven Virtues, dedicated to Trevor, uh, gave women, that, that, that stoic wisdom of Churchill and Aurelius and Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir, things that maybe our, our parents might not have spoken to us about as women, so that we could have the courage to walk with men in, in an enlightened world and, and speak truth to power and make change. And so I brought the thesis to life when I read about Abdullah in Afghanistan, who was growing the legal orange blossom and rose. And I thought, this is how I will, uh, you know, walk my talk and uh, started buying oils from Abdullah. Uh, back then the banks wouldn't give me a loan. Nobody had ever heard of a social enterprise. Uh, right. People made fun. Um, and so I went on Dragon's Den and uh, that was how I was able to prove that this concept of social, uh, you know, social enterprise long before we had a word for it mattered and that we could take our buying power and affect change in people's lives. And uh, it's been an incredible journey together with Trevor on this as friends. And he really set me on this path. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing. When a family friend is, is harmed physically, uh, spiritually, intellectually, uh, PTSD, so many issues when our brave soldiers come home, that families often and friends feel like their hands are tied. And I wanted to show that our hands are never tied and that we can always find a way and, and yes, it's hard. It's wonderful to be called a trailblazer or a game changer, but you don't get to be called that unless you are able to have uh, a stiff upper lip and handle those making fun, mocking, not understanding. It's, it's very crucial. Uh, but when we can do that and we when we have that skill set, uh, we can we can make bring meaningful change and really prove that our hands are never tied. And that's really one of the main messages for me to others. Um, if I can do this, we can do anything, you know. 
Yeah, just incredible, right? I mean, I get goosebumps when I when I hear you speak of it. And there's so much I want to get to today. But, you know, you didn't go out there and raise a bunch of money and uh, and promote people to support charities. Of course, all service initiatives, um, you know, are awesome and great. But but you you are really a social entrepreneur at heart. You believe that most people don't want or don't need or that charity often doesn't work. And you actually took a different path. You went to these, you know, countries stricken with poverty and strife and, strife and that were war-torn. And you actually worked with local farmers, some you helped get started uh, so that they could actually, you know, have the means to the end so that they could support, you know, uh, where they live and could build something special. Tell us about the difference between charity and, and um, you know, social entrepreneurship. Tell us and the impact that these farmers, um, you know, are seeing in their own lives now because of the initiative that uh, yeah. you're working with them on. Yeah, I mean, I was I was raised on welfare. We were pretty poor, um, and people used to drop off the Christmas hamper and drive away, but they wouldn't invite us to the banquet. They wouldn't include us, and so my sister and I just wanted to be included. We wanted to to be able to make decisions, be at the decision making table, be included. And so, uh, you know, I know when there are tragic situations, charity is a must, short term, but long term. Uh, when I talk to my friends in Haiti or Rwanda or different countries, they all tell me, you know, uh, charity kills our creativity. Uh, charity makes the giver feel great, but it keeps the uh, recipients in a place of needing handouts. And, and so for my sister and I, she said the only way for us to break the cycle of poverty was an education. So I followed her to university and that's where I met Trevor. And when we, you know, work with our farmers, um, all of our distilleries are already set up though. I will qualify that. They've, it has to be grassroots and starts from the community. Uh, when a community member uh, decides they're going to create a distillery, then it's not us as North Americans coming in and telling people what they should do. It's, it's coming from the people. And that's what we work with. We work with farmers in Rwanda, Afghanistan, uh, now Sri Lanka, Madagascar. But the community sets it up. Uh, uh, I've been blessed to meet several of our suppliers. Rwanda was the most moving trip uh, for us. Uh, they have an expression in Rwanda, um, God visits other places during the day, but he always comes home to rest in Rwanda. And our supplier, Nicholas, saved his wife, Elsie, during the genocide. Uh, and and you know all of our farmers there earn three times the income over the next crop of coffee. And it's just really um, beautiful to see people return home and really invest in their communities, but they can't do it alone. So they need us uh, with our buying power. We can make choices as consumers. Uh, and, and I think it's just really crucial that we make those choices that can lift others. If we're going to buy things anyway, we might as well buy something that um, makes a difference in someone's life. So, yeah. yeah. Incredible. For those uh, tuned in today, um, please um, post this you know, your message and words of encouragement. Uh, use the hashtag uh, make perfume, not war. We're gonna speak about that in a few minutes. Uh, certainly uh, reach out to uh, Barb Stegman uh, directly um, and on here. We're gonna give away uh, at least 50 copies of Barb's uh, book today. Also, she has an incredible documentary that we're gonna talk about called Perfume Wars uh, that, you know, you can currently rent for, I think it's $4.99, I watched it the other night, but I know we're gonna give the link to anyone who wants it, to all of you uh, free today. This was important to Barb. She wants to continue to spread this, you know, message of, of peace and and you're just, again, Barb, you're just a remar remarkable, uh, you know, peacekeeper and, and peacemaker. So let's talk about in this book, the seven virtues and the seven virtues, the, the foundation, 
uh, of what's, you know, uh, what's good in the world and what's good in people and what we should work towards. Um, I'm going to just go over the seven virtues and maybe from, from uh, your um, words, I'll have you explain what they mean to you individually. So the seven virtues uh, that you've identified are wonder, balance, truth, courage, justice, wisdom, and beauty. Can you spend a minute or two on each one of those and yeah. talk about what they mean to you? And we're going to ask people in their hashtags and their comments and their thumbs up on here to tell us what virtue resonates the most with you. That's excellent. Thank you, Gary. Well, when I was writing it, it took two years to write it. I took the main four stoic virtues that Churchill used during World War II. Uh, truth, courage, justice, and wisdom. They're kind of the core of the virtues. Uh, but because it was a book for women and men, uh, I, I added three more. So I added wonder, balance, and beauty, but not in the way you've ever thought of beauty. So we'll start with wonder. Uh, wonder is where everything begins. When we're in a state of wonder and we're not judging ourselves or judging anyone around us, absolutely everything you need will appear guaranteed. It cannot fail you. I'm always shocked. I wrote a book on it and it still <laughs> blows my mind. I still go, this, this works. Oh my God, this works. It's an eighth edition. And uh, I still go, oh my God. So wonder. But if you're judging yourself, you are never, ever going to get to the potential that you need. And often we think, okay, well, I don't judge others, but often we judge ourselves. So uh, I was born hearing impaired. I didn't know till I was 21. Uh, it's the strangest thing. Uh, you know, you wonder how kids in poverty slip between the cracks. Uh, they gave me glasses instead. Oh, that'll fix it. But anyway, <laughs> I I, uh, I have this hearing impairment. So I, I didn't know till I was 21 when I did my first hearing test. So all my life, I've been very intense. You know, uh, I use my hands a lot. I lean in. I have to read your lips to understand you. And, and I'm quite loud and excited. And, and, and so, you know, people used to say to me, you're so intense but they'd screw up their face. You're so intense. And I'd kind of apologize for it, but I, all I knew was me. And then one day I went to an economic development conference in Victoria, BC, and uh, I saw the former CEO of the Vancouver Canucks, Brian Burke was giving his 10 commandments. And his 10 commandments, one of them was be intense. And I was like, yes. So I went up to Brian Burke afterwards. I always said all my life, I've been so embarrassed that people would say you're intense and you gave me permission today. And from now on, I'm going to be proud of who I am. And I'm not going to apologize with my body language. And you know what happened, Gary, from that moment on? No one ever called me intense. It was my issue. I was judging myself. And the moment I gave permission to myself to be who I am. So wonder applies to everything, not just the people around you. I mean, dig deep within yourself. We judge ourselves. And when we stop that, when we cast that off, the world opens up because you were given gifts that no one else has. And it's not your right to keep them to yourself. So wonder is, I believe, the most powerful place to start and takes daily practice, daily practice, like a muscle, you have to rip it. Uh, but if you stay in a state of judgment, you become judgy and uh, uh, angry and resentful and all those terrible things that can sure. etch into us. Yeah. So wonder, balance, balance is crucial. Uh, you know, we applaud ourselves for reading a book. We applaud ourselves for uh, going to church. Uh, but, you know, we really have to take care of our body. Your body is going to take that soul and mind to the end. And, and balance is absolutely imperative. Say no to some things. Uh, take time out every day to move your body, to exercise. It's really crucial every day and enjoy it uh, while we can, while you can move your body. One day we may not be able to. And so if you're having difficulty saying, you know, I, I can't get to that workout. I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the mood. Well, who knows what tomorrow's going to bring? Maybe tomorrow you can't go for a walk. 
So mm. wouldn't you want to use your body today in the way that it was built for you to bring your soul and your mind to others? Uh, so we have to honor it. It's interesting. A good friend of mine, David, uh, Darren Hardy has said on that very topic, he just said, guys, it isn't about like, you know, I don't want to go to the gym. Like I can go to the gym. I have the opportunity to go to the gym, right? Like we're so fortunate that we actually can. And so, I mean, you know, very, uh, very important point. It's crucial. Absolutely. So when you're not motivated, just do it. So wonder balance truth. You know, a lot of people don't know how to speak up. They, they whisper things or they speak, speak ill of somebody or they'll talk to someone about it, about it. You have to talk right to the person and speak your truth. And, and if you don't, you're going to be, you're going to feel resentful and all bottled up. And you know, what's the worst that can happen when you share the truth, you get somewhere, something beautiful happens, or maybe you end something that was negative in your life. But if you don't live truthfully, uh, you're, you're not living fully. You're not living honestly. It's absolutely crucial. So wonder, balance, truth courage it takes courage i was terrified to go on dragon's den kevin o'leary can be so mean oh my god <laughs> after the dragon's den aired first woman from atlanta canada get a deal my daughter's class i went to give a talk and and one of the kids said well kevin o'leary was so mean to you and i said get ready for life kids not everyone's <laughs> gonna like your idea that's okay why do we talk about this someone who, do who doesn't like it who cares courage to go on the den i was absolutely terrified but you know what when you're scared if you think about a mission that's bigger than you, like a soldier, I knew that my mission was to communicate with millions of Canadians that we have to do trade with nations rebuilding. If we're going to reverse cycles of war and poverty and do some of the heavy lifting, not leave this up to our brave military and our government as citizens, we have to find a way. And so the courage to go into the den was knowing that my mission, if my, my win isn't my win and my loss isn't my loss, it's purely the message I have to share. And with that, it became one of the most powerful uh, Dragon's Den episodes, even though my cheek was going into my eye and I wanted to pee my pants and I was terrified. Every time I'm scared, that's what I do. I say, what am I supposed to do here? What gift was I given to go serve? And I'm okay with the response because it's not my ego. It's about what we have to do and why we have to serve. So courage, wonder, balance. I still have to, I still have to count these. You think that I forget. Yeah. Wonder, balance, truth, courage, justice. The philosophers believe that justice is the natural response when all the other virtues are in play. So you don't really need to, to focus on it as a virtue. It will happen if we live courageously, truthfully, in balance, in wonder, with wisdom. If we actually do all of that, then justice will occur. And when we don't have a just world, that means we're not being brave enough, that we're not being honest enough, that we're not being uh, uh, non-judgy of ourselves enough, that we're not being courageous enough. And that's okay. We are mere mortals. We're allowed to try to figure it out and bumble along. It's very okay, but you have to love your broken bits as long as, as right along with your achievements. And the people around you have to love you for your broken bits too. They can't just win you, love you when you're winning an award. Right. The pe people yeah. have to be with you when you're feeling down and love you for the whole package. That is crucial. So uh, a just world. And the next virtue is wisdom. Uh, I, I've always loved the story of the uh, wisdom of Solomon. Um, I didn't actually know I had a, a mission statement for my life until I was uh, in Victoria at another economic development conference. I was having a beer with another friend in economic development from Port Moody. And I blurted out that I want to have the wisdom of Solomon by the time I'm 96. <laughs> and, you know, and that's okay. I'm going to make mistakes as I go. But the beautiful part of a, a, a mission statement for your life, we know our corporate mission statements, but what's your mission statement for your life? If you know where you're going, no one can knock you off. And so I want to have the wisdom of Solomon by the time I'm 96. 
and I'm 51, so I have 45 more beautiful years of, of learning and being kind to myself and making mistakes. But the coolest part about having that, that mission statement is because I want to have the wisdom of Solomon by the time I'm 96, that means my, my mission statement goes on autopilot. So when I was on Dragon's Den, for example, if you watch the clip, uh, I have no money. I'm out of my garage. Uh, I'm being made fun of. How do I prove that this, this works? Um, I remember three of them, Arlene, Brett, and, and uh, Jim, Try Living, all said, you know, do we have a deal? We want in. And <laughs> there it is. And uh, I didn't say, oh, yes, thank you. I want your 75000 Instead, my mission statement went on autopilot. And I said, do I get your wisdom and your counsel? Right. And that's when Brett Wilson said, you'll have trouble ignoring us. And so the cool part is, I don't think I would have actively known to ask that great question. It's because my mission statement was an autopilot. And the last one's beauty, but beauty like Michelangelo. Uh, Michelangelo, uh, <clears throat> one of the greatest artists, philosophers, believed that beauty is expression over form. So uh, what's expression? Expression is your power and your dignity. And, and your form... Yeah, Michelangelo would say, you know, they'd say during the Twiggy era, if you're skinny, that's your beauty. He'd say, that's not your beauty. That's your form. That's not your expression. Your expression is your beauty. Well, if you're born in the Renaissance and you're voluptuous, they'd say, that's your beauty. Again, measuring you on your form. Your mm. body's form is not your beauty. Your beauty is your power and your dignity. And if we taught our daughters that their beauty is their power and their dignity, we would not lose little girls to eating disorders. We would not lose women to the streets. We would not lose women to the $8 billion cost annually for wife battery in our country. Your beauty is your power and your dignity. Never hand it over. And even if you don't agree with someone, never strip them of theirs. We'll get to a good place. And that is what world leaders must adhere to, everyday individuals do. And when we do that, we can say difficult things and get to a good place. Hey, Barb, Dave, Dave Tashir and I are going to be your campaign managers. I think, <laughs> uh, I think you're running for prime minister next. I mean, this is absolutely incredible, right? Thank you for that explanation. I mean, I, I promise you, I'm literally standing here with hair up on my neck. You know, I want to talk about uh, something, and I read something in your book, and it really resonated to me, and I completely agree with the statement, and I want to share it. You have been asked if you are a feminist. The answer is no. I deserve more than being labeled, and I find most women and men don't even understand the word. Can you explain that for us? Yes, because it can seem so controversial, doesn't it? But sure. here's the thing. I don't want to be labeled. I'm more than that. I am a human. I'm a friend. I'm an entrepreneur. I am so much. But the thing is that word gets manipulated and, and used. And I'll give you some examples. But first, I want to qualify it by saying I a champion and do much of the same work that feminists do. So we're very much aligned. In fact, probably exactly the same. And I worship and adore all of my friends who do consider themselves feminists because it's important. And one of my favorite, favorite, favorite authors, Mary Wollstonecraft, was considered the mother of feminism. I adore her. I quote her all the time. My favorite quote is, the beginning is always today. This moment. Doesn't matter what happened in your life before. The beginning is always today. Here's the challenge, though. When I studied philosophy in university in the late uh, 80s, Mary Wollstonecraft's book, A Vindication of a Woman's Right, had been written in the 1700s. It wasn't on my reading list. It was put in feminism studies, and it wasn't there for men to read. 
And so that bothered me, this notion that, oh, well, we'll just put everything over in women's studies. Men and women must read the enlightened works of women and men. Oh, look at you. I love that you have that up. It's one of my favorite. And she also wrote a vindication of a man's right. Girl was out there fighting for men and women in the 1700s. But we do her a disservice when we label her and put her off to the side when she should be with Plato and Socrates and Sartre, right? right? She right. should be right there with everyone. And so that's why, and the, the other, last thing I'll add is, I, I really get disturbed as a woman who has been overlooked, who has been judged, who has been uh, uh, underestimated. Uh, when I look at men that call themselves feminists and then they throw women under the bus politically, <laughs> how, how can someone, how can a man, a politician, call himself a feminist when he has never been underestimated, he has never been overlooked like a woman, and then go throw women under the bus, figuratively, uh, in politics because it didn't work for him. You want to be a feminist? Your job is to fight for women's rights 24-7. I'm not even that good and I'm working hard. <laughs> and so the abuse of that word, I'm probably more a feminist than anyone. And, and I step back from the word because if I watch it misused, abused, manipulated again, uh, or a great woman being shuffled off to the side uh, to be just with women. And once we have great men and women together, uh, like we do today, you know, we're friends. We don't even define ourselves as, as Gary's a man, Dave's a man, I'm a woman. We, we are people right. doing something really lovely. And I think that's really where it starts. I think that's kind of how we all feel, right? Amen. Amen. Well said. Although you're a peace leader at heart, a social entrepreneur, as a social entrepreneur, there are many lessons that I believe we can, we can learn from you. And I've interviewed some of the, you know, top entrepreneurs, you know, uh, today. Um, you said your network is your net worth. And this really resonated with, with us and, and with me in particular, because, you know, we've spoken about that importance for, for a very, uh, long time. Um, Talk to us about your belief in the importance of establishing those relationships and partnerships today in the often male-dominated world, the industries, the banks, um, you know, so that we can build up that peer-to-peer -peer respect. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crucial that we, as women, I'm realizing there's cat hair all over me. Just found myself <laughs> in it. We couldn't see it. <laughs> Um, I, I think that, you know, for me, I, I was you know, raised in welfare. We didn't go to Rotary. I mean, later in life, I became a Rotarian, but uh, certainly I wasn't invited to people's homes because we weren't in the network. And it was not intentional of others. They just didn't know about us. And so no one's going to know about you unless you get out in the network, unless you show up, whether it's now virtual, uh, joining different groups. Uh, I just joined the Female uh, Founder Collective, a group that now that logo's, logo's on my website. I'd never heard of it before. But basically, it lets someone know who's shopping, who wants to support a, a female uh, business person, that she's a member of the Female Founder Collective. And so there are amazing ways to create new networks where you can go and gain wisdom and network with other people, even though we're living uh, during, you guys are so amazing, wow. Uh, so I suggest other women out there that have their own, uh, that are self-employed with you, that they, that they look at different ways that they can network even virtually 
uh, right now um, uh, because you can't necessarily go to a chamber meeting. We will again, but in the meantime, there's no reason not to be networking. Um, uh, really crucial. And uh, I've never been afraid to uh, show up at the banquet. I feel I have the right to come to the banquet. And yeah. so I think, uh, you know, again, when you don't judge yourself, you're not afraid to go, hi, how are you? And who cares if someone is in a bad mood and doesn't talk to you? I mean, cold calling, if anybody has to cold call, I, I, I think it's because you've got to cold call 20 times. And, you know, you've got to be able to deal with no every, every day until you get the yes. But if you give up at the 19th no, maybe the 20th was the yes. Right. And, and so I really think it's really crucial. And if you're not out there cold calling, someone half as good as you is out there getting the deal. Ah, uh, if that doesn't drive me crazy, I think about that and go, well, I'm getting out there because yeah. I actually know how to do this. I will respect my clients. I am a great partner. I believe in win-win. I will always make sure that everyone does well. If I have to walk on glass, I don't care. And so, you know, that's what propels me to go out there and not be afraid to say hello to strangers and, and make those cold calls, uh, make those introductions um, and, and never stop doing it. Um, oh, I mean, even for fun, I'll show you. You can actually see my network. Now you can focus. You see back here, that's Mark Cuban, President Clinton, and uh, Secretary Clinton. And you can't really see those when I'm up here because it focuses on me. But uh, I didn't know any of those people growing up. Um, so 30, so 30 seconds, because I want to just, uh, this wasn't on my, my questions, but I want you to tell the story. You said you're in, you know, Haiti. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, I think it's ranked the second, first or second poorest, you know, uh, you know, uh, country in the world right now. And you said, oh my God, here I'm a girl raised from a single mother in Nova Scotia. And I'm on this peace mission, um, you know, with Bill Clinton and I'm riding in the, in the Clinton helicopter. Tell us about that because that's so cool. Well, you know, it was amazing that he'd heard of our work buying vetiver oil from farmers in Haiti. Uh, and they invited me to go on a trade mission. And I remember uh, we were walking in a field with, you know, the Secret Service all protecting. Former presidents are always protected by the Secret Service. And uh, so we're walking along and he starts telling me this story about how when he was seven, he was almost killed by a bull. It was ramming him against the wall and his uncle kept trying to grab him to bring him up uh, on the farm and get him up. He finally saved him and pulled him up. And I shared with him this my story of my cow buttercup. Uh, when I was eight, we had a cow buttercup and I used to go talk to her. She had those big brown eyes. And one day when I just talked to her and she was gone and I was devastated. I remember running in to see my parents and I was so upset. I was like, where's buttercup? And uh, I'm telling him the story. And uh, my parents said we had to sell her for food money. And I said to them, why didn't we, why didn't we have babies? Why didn't she have babies? Why didn't she have little baby heifers? Why didn't we make butter and sell it at the end of the road like the neighbors? Why didn't we keep her and she could have been long-term money for us instead of selling her for a short amount of money that's not a long-term solution? So I told them that story and then life went on. We all got in the UN helicopters. And then that night we were at uh, a reception and he, <laughs> I'm standing there, listen, President Clinton just kind of zooms in and goes, 
tell me more about that cow buttercup. And uh, uh, that was it. I kept talking about my philosophy and how it was shaped by these uh, experiences. And I am blessed to continue to be invited on these trade missions and, and finally got to meet Secretary Clinton. They both, they shared with me that they both wear our perfumes and they both read my book, which I was really uh, moved by. Uh, and uh, to think that uh, Hillary and Bill and Chelsea all wear our Seven Virtues perfumes, kind of cool. I don't, I don't have celebrities. I look at politicians and what they do to change the world uh, and uh, see if we can somehow emulate that and do some of the heavy lifting as citizens because we can't really make our, our governments do everything alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just, and just, you know what, the, the, you were in the UN helicopters with the Clintons is, is super cool. And by the way, I'm going to say it again, like literally, honestly, prime minister, we're going to push that <laughs> uh, going forward. So I, I, I know, um, and I've heard you speak about, um, being the architect of your own mission statement for your life. Yep. Can you share with us uh, what that is and, and tell us the importance of it and how our uh, viewers can start creating an, a mission statement for their own life? Yeah, I mean, you are probably already have one. Uh, you just need to articulate it. Uh, and the most important thing is to, to really imprint it, embed it in your life like a mantra, like a neon sign. You know, I want to have the wisdom of Solomon. And, and that what happens because I, I am seeking that, that means I'm going to seek mentorship, that I'm constantly going to follow the smart people, see what they do, seek what they seek, ask good questions. And so it depends on where, where you want to go with your life, this one short, blessed, sweet life. And it is short. Make no mistake, 96 years is short. I, I, I can't even impress upon all this and none of us have a guarantee on tomorrow. So it's really, really important that, that your life is, is, is guided by a direction and a path and a goal. And, and, you know, for me with mine, uh, I'm going to keep learning as I go. And at the very end of my life, when I'm 96, someone's going to ask me what to do in the world and I'm going to know the answer and then I'm going to die and it'll have been a <laughs> fabulous life. And so it's a real trip. Having that mission statement really connects your mind, body, spirit, that balance piece, that bumbling, broken human part. Sometimes we put our foot in our mouth. Sometimes we do things that aren't right. You know, some parts of our bodies don't work, like my hearing. Sometimes we might get a little blue or bummed out. All these things are human and they're, they're real and they're part of us. And we have to be kind to ourselves. Then we have this divine soul that's so extraordinary that you kind of go, I was given this soul, your instincts right? When you know what to do and you listen to it, that's your soul. And then your mind, which of course can be expanded every day by just simply reading. I read every day, every day. There's a famous quote, you're as wise as the people you meet, the places you go and the books you read. And, and it costs nothing to read a book. And so having this, this mission statement is absolutely crucial for us to actually merge the mind, body, spirit together in harmony and, and without that, we're kind of adrift. If you don't know where you're going, then you'll read something on Facebook. It'll get you all worked up and you're off being used and abused by someone else because they've taken all your power and you've handed it over. And so when you know where you're going, soon as even on my Facebook, if I see people starting to attack because one's a Republican and one's a Democrat, eh, and yeah. it, do not repeat any garbage. We are thrilled at the world where it's going. We can make change, but I will not uh, uh, in any way, shape or form, allow 
anger porn, which we call it. Anger porn is such a great word. You know, a world leader throws something out and they hope everyone goes chasing it on Facebook, getting all worked up. And then no yeah. one knows, no one notices that 30,000 Haitians are stuck at the American border because they were promised, you know, fake jobs. So, so when we actually know where we're going, we cannot be used and we cannot hand our power over to someone else, some authoritarian figure. Uh, so anger porn has no place in my life. And I will, on my Facebook page with my friends, I will say uh, that that's not actually how it works. And then I will delete anything. I remove it. That's my page. And this <laughs> yeah. is my life. And, you know, you can say whatever you want on your page, but my page, yeah. nobody gets to do it. Delete, block, delete, block. Back to let's move forward with a mission where we're going. And it helps people. And then they thank me. And it's good. Mm, incredible. You know, there is a uh, there's a quote in your book, actually, um, and I'm I'm not you know, I'm not sure of the author Epic uh, Epictetus Epictetus, I guess. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up that the art of living. Yeah. And the quote is, uh, what is the first of one who studies to part with self-conceit for it's impossible for anyone to learn what he thinks he already knows? And boy, I see a lot of that. People go, yeah, yeah, I've heard it. I've seen it. I've done it. But we also know they don't do it. Nice. And I think it's the, I am, a, I am a massive subscriber of lifelong learning. And much like you, I read every day and I listen to something every day because it feeds my soul. It makes yeah. me a, a better person. So tell me what you think of that quote and how important it is to make that personal development in even small, little, like what seem to be insignificant ways each day. You know, it's really two things which are great and i applaud you gary for reading every day and listening we, more of us need to make that commitment and it's crucial absolutely crucial um but what, what's interesting to me is that so many people have uh labored hard for the great books that are written out there and they're all there for us <laughs> yeah. so it's like i can go and read you know simone de beauvoir or or Sartre, or Plato, or Socrates, or, you know, it's they did all the work. I can just sit there and learn and become a person of character and become who I wish to be. And, you know, Michelangelo said the sculpture is in the clay. And the clay is really that external stuff. And how do we chip away? How do we know when to chip away? And how do we know to just softly blow the dust so that we can emerge the sculpture that we were intended to be? And it doesn't matter if we start in poverty or if we had weight issues as I did as a child, or it doesn't matter if uh, whatever it may be that the sculpture will emerge uh, if we do all the work and all those great works are out there uh, for us to become human beings of great character and wisdom and it costs nothing. Uh, and I find that really fascinating. And, you know, the other thing is uh, really part of that Epictetus quote uh, is, you know, I may not have all the answers, but I can always ask good questions. And yeah. so keep being curious, keep asking questions. You know, people love to say, oh, we've tried that or, uh, uh, you know, that's been done. It's like, mm, well, it wasn't done by me. So maybe the wrong person was doing it. So, yeah. you know, when someone tells you, uh, you can't do that because so-and-so tried it. It was like, well, I haven't tried it. Uh, you know, and one of my cheeky, I call it the cheeky Socratic method. Uh, when I wanted to launch this perfume, people said to me, you'll never get that perfume into the perfume store. And I call it the cheeky Socratic method. So when people said to me, you'll never get that perfume into the perfume store, I asked one question back. I said, uh, why is that what happened to you the last time you launched a perfume? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, you never launched a perfume. You want to tell me what I can and can't do. It's cheeky. Yeah. It's fun. But use it. Uh, whenever someone tells you you can't do something, you ask a good question back and challenge them on where is this information even coming from? You know, who is this person even speaking to me with no experience mm -hmm. in perfume? Mm -hmm. Incredible, right? Those who want to give us advice on something that they know nothing about, but they think they're an authority because they have a minute of our time and they literally poison and put dirty water into our wells. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the minute someone talks about it, Marcus Aurelius said, you meet people, they have ghosts around them. Yeah. They talk about what someone said on some post somewhere. Who cares? They're, right. they're, you're living with these ghosts around you and yeah. you want to just blow them off. They have nothing to do with you. And, but if you have a mission statement, you're not going to listen to their garbage. Yeah, exactly. yeah, just say no. I, um, you know, one of your perfumes is named uh, Middle East Peace. And there's a story about the concept of that perfume. And myself and my wife looked at it when we were watching uh, the program the other night. And it was just like, a, whoa, holy, what a cool name. But what a cool story. Can you share with us that story of Middle East yeah. Peace? Yeah, I was moderating the panel on the Middle East at the German Marshall Fund, the Halifax Security Forum. And it was uh, Matan Vilnai, the Deputy Minister for Defense, the then Deputy Minister for Defense for Israel, and Dr. Mohammed Shteya, the Minister of the Housing uh, Authority for uh, the Palestinian Authority. He is now the Prime Minister of Palestine. Uh, and so uh, when we all gathered, You've got, I'm half Jewish, half Catholic, so I joke about being guilty about being cheap. That's kind of my shtick. <laughs> um, but so you've got, you've got a uh, uh, Muslim uh, leader for Palestine. You've got Jewish uh, defense uh, minister. And you've got me, I'm half Jewish, half Catholic. I can swing either way, right? And so we all got together and we all teased one another about who owned Jesus. And I was like, whoa, these are world leaders and they all get along. What? <laughs> Why are we even fighting? Why is old hate even in my world? And who is talking about this? Because these people have no hate. And that was it. I decided I was going to uh, merge the oils of the Middle East and call it Middle East Peace. I trademarked it. And I thought, you know, I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for people to get along. Let's just, just start talking about love and uh, not Pollyanna, of course, but we're going to get along. And, and those who are noisy can hush down. The mm. fanatics can hush down, but we have one thing we have to do. We have to get louder with our love. And I mean loud. And that is the problem. People are not loud with their love. The fanatics are loud with their hate. The only way to balance it is to get louder with your love. And that is whether it's through your business, through your writing, through your podcast, through the way you love your children, through the way you communicate in your community. Get loud with your love because those who hate have no problem getting loud with their hate. And you, Such, you know, that's where yeah. we're, that's where we need to really pick up the pace. Yeah. I, you know, it just resonates uh, so well with me. I mean, one of the things I always say, and it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's fun, but I say to all brokers and all of our suppliers and all of our owners, guys, find a way to make love every day. I don't care if it's, you know, posting something on social media, right? Spread the love. Let, let someone yeah. know how much you appreciate them, how, how, how great they're doing the contributions. Don't look for ways to correct people and, 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 you know, look for ways to, to build them up and to recognize the good work that they're currently doing uh, rather than trying to, you know, make them better or correct them. Uh, anyway, make love every day. And I, and I love that. So, I have heard you say the most beautiful model in the world is a role model. Mm. Who are some of your role models? Oh, well, uh, Secretary Clinton, of course. Um, uh, I have 
male role models too. Uh, Brett Wilson is a role model to me. Uh, Captain Green is a beautiful role model to me. Uh, you know, I love, um, oh gosh, uh, a lot of my role models are dead. Like Mr. Mm -hmm. Winston Churchill. <laughs> Uh, I, I feel like I learn all the time when I read their great works. There's Brett and I. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like when I read um, Stoic Wisdom from the past that you're, you're with these, that you're walking with them because their words are so profound uh, and they teach you. And so, you, you know, when you sit and read, these great role models are with you. Um, and, and, I don't, and I don't think that wisdom should be lost. I think it's really important for the wisdom of Epictetus and, and Sartre and, and, and uh, Plato and Socrates to live on. These were incredible human beings who looked through the lens of the weakest and the poorest. Great leadership always looks through the, the lens of the poorest and the weakest and starts there with their decision making. And that we lack in our world. Uh, uh, and it's really crucial that one can either, which is another case for diversity, you can either draw from your own humble experience, some painful experience, so that you can have true empathy, uh, which is why we need diversity at the table, which is why Black Lives Matters was crucial, which is why having uh, equality in women is crucial, uh, which is why having people who come from impoverished backgrounds at the table is crucial, but often people who come from poverty or uh, have been in isolation, uh, are not invited to the decision-making table. And, and world leaders make decisions based on incomplete data because those who are marginalized uh, are not at the table. And so, you know, it's really, really crucial that, um, that we have that perspective and that all of our leadership comes from the lens of those who have uh, the least. Mm. So you've caught, you've commented on so much of this already, and I don't know if there's anything you can add, but you know, I mean, peace is the big driver for you. So when, when does peace and, you know, you know, when do you, when, I guess we've never, you know, stopped, you know, striving for peace, but what does peace and love mean to you? Well, you know, we were talking about how long is peace and when will we really have it? I think it's, I, I heard a great term that I just love. It's called cathedral thinking. And the notion of cathedral thinking that, uh, you know, I may not witness true peace on this earth during my lifetime, but it's worth mm -hmm. starting and it's worth that journey. And, and, and cathedral thinking comes from the notion of a great, the great architects who designed cathedrals that designed them knew they would never see the steeples of their gorgeous architectural beauty touch the heavens. They knew they would never see it because it mm -hmm. takes 400 years to yeah. build a cathedral. But cathedral thinking is, I think it's worth doing. So I will start it, I will walk on glass, I will I will go for it, and I will pass that torch to the next person, and they will keep it going, because we have ignited them. And that's why reading the great leaders of the past is crucial uh, when we look at some of the mess that we just came out of and still are in on some levels in our communities, uh, that we have that great wisdom from the past. and go towards cathedral thinking and any big mission uh, so that we can pass that torch and ignite the generation uh, that is younger than us to get excited. So I feel like in some ways I have ignited a lot of social entrepreneurs. I have a lot of women write me and men tell me, you know, I became a social entrepreneur. You were sort of the first person I ever saw do that. Great. Now we have cathedral thinking. 
we have that kind of momentum going. Uh, and it doesn't matter what your industry is, uh, it's cathedral thinking is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Yesterday was Remembrance Day. Uh, obviously, you know, the spark that ignited this whole thing for you was your best friend, uh, Captain Trevor Green. Uh, it's been, you know, a long time now since this injury, but yet he continues to make extraordinary, um, you know, advances. Uh, and he is, um, you know, for brain uh, injury survivors, they they often say that, you know, after the first six months, there is no more, uh, you know, improvement. And, and he has broken that mold and obviously a testament to uh, him as a person and his spirit. Did you did you speak to him yesterday? Did you connect? And uh, how is Captain uh, Green doing? Yeah, we spoke the night before. Uh, and he told us that he was going to be on Global News uh, speaking. And I, Dave sent me a screenshot of him and Debbie, his wife, uh, on the show. Uh, he, they're doing great. Uh, we would we used to go visit them every three months in Nanaimo from Nova Scotia. But um, now with COVID, we just Skype a lot, which is hard. Uh, I really miss him. We we love getting drunk together. <laughs> you know, we did, we did <laughs> yeah. study in Nova yeah. Scotia. So. No, I love it. Yeah, you're a newbie. Oh yeah, we will. Well, yeah, we're Atlantic Canadians. We do love to drink. Anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, uh, but but so, um, yeah. No, he's got the most map brain in the world. There's never been a recovery like that. He has motivated so many people with brain injury, uh, and it's really extraordinary to witness his continued healing journey. And he keeps just breaking all records, uh, and it's because of his uh, beautiful wife, his family, his beautiful children, his friends his faith, uh, and he is committed and he has a mission and he has a vision for his life and he's unstoppable. Um, and so, you know, he's found all the blessings in his life and he is so grateful for everything he has. And he really, I mean, how can you not rise up with a best friend like that? You know, mm, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just a remarkable story and, and his journey is still, uh, there's a lot of road ahead of him, but he, his, his, you know, his, uh, commitment and his spirit and the way he looks at things. Uh, there's lessons to be learned from all of us. And I mean, look what he did. He, 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 his story has inspired something so much greater. Um, when I said you're a nerve, a new obviously, you know, Nova Scotia. Um, I just, we're pretty whether, close though. We're right, just whether, 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 whether it's Newfoundland or whether you're from the Maritimes or Atlantic Canada, I can tell you, I remember the day when I was in a cab and I, I literally asked this question to the cab driver. I said to him, it is amazing. And I was in Nova Scotia actually at the time I said, it is amazing. Like, like you people are all so nice and friendly and patient and, and like, like, why is that? Is that instilled from you? And he goes, no, we're always drunk was his answer exactly. to me That's and they are, and we laughed their head off and they are just some of the nicest okay, people. Water. <laughs> I don't know if it's a water or what it is, but boy, are they a special bunch um, anywhere yeah. through the Maritimes are. I, are I would say, I would say Newfoundlanders are even nicer than us. I'll be honest. Yeah. We're nice, but my God, if you, you got to go to Newfoundland at some point in your life. You, I, mm. I, it's like going through the Narnia closet door. It is magical. It is yeah. absolutely magical. Nova Scotia is pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, sure. As I remember being screeched in and uh, boy, that's serious business out there. So anyway, here's a Thank shout God. out to uh, all of our friends in the Atlantic and Maritimes. Uh, okay, just a couple of last things, uh, Barb, and we'll, we'll sort of wrap this. Um, your favorite book. I mean, obviously, I know you study philosophy and man, there's, you know, uh, whether it's Marcus uh, or whether it's Socrates or so many others. Is there one favorite book that you read that you just go was uh, kind of an aha moment where you just go like everyone should read this besides this book and everyone should read this? 
There are a couple. There was two I want to share because they're both crucial for different reasons. One is Marcus Aurelius's meditations. And it basically goes through, you know, from my mother I learned, from my father I learned, from bad bosses I learned, from good bosses I learned, from gossip I learned. And it helps you learn from both the good and the bad. And it really helps you to sit down and create your own meditation. So at the back of my book, we have a section where you can create your own meditations. And it really helps you to articulate to yourself some things that you probably knew deep down, but you come, you really come face on with and go, yeah, I learned a great lesson from that. And you can let go of something that might've been painful because now you have the gift of the wisdom. And then you go, oh, that was sent to me for a reason because I was tough enough to bear it. And so, okay, that, that's good. I see the gift rather than, you know, still feeling sad or anxious or, or guilty. Uh, because again, the beginning is always today, right? And so you're not who you were two months ago, a year ago. So that has no ghost place around you. So the meditations gives you all of that. Um, the other one is uh, Psycho-Cybernetics uh, by Maxwell Maltz. It was written in the 60s and it really wow. teaches you how to uh, visualize uh, and basically, uh, it's extraordinary. I read it over and over and over. I buy it for people for Christmas, just like the meditations. These are my two favorite books. Uh, Psycho-Cybernetics, the basic core of it is that your body doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So whatever you tell your body, it believes. There it is. And so if you tell yourself you can do it and achieve great things, you will. But if you tell your body you can't, I tried that before, you won't. And so the basic premise of it is that if you imagine something in your life for 28 days, take some quiet time for 15 minutes to a half an hour and watch your life like a movie. Who's in it? What achievements you're having? What, what records you're breaking? What places do you want to be? And at the end of 28 days, everything will be in play. I call it a spiritual business plan. And you will actually have it in motion and it will happen. And every time I do this, it freaks me out. It works. And I'll tell you one of the stories was I was in Haiti. It was a, uh, my company was surviving. It wasn't thriving. Uh, we were, we had a different line, line then. Uh, we were in a different retailer. The world was shape, shape, world was completely changing. Uh, the millennials and Gen Zs, my children were taking over the buying power and we were just surviving. And I have a lot of farmers counting on me. And so um, whenever I don't know what to do in life, I volunteer. I get out of my own way because I realized all my problems really aren't that big. And so I was in, right? And I was, I was yeah. in Haiti. I was volunteering after Hurricane Matthew. And while I was there, Sephora wrote me. And I'm not going to tell you, I never told my team how many times they rejected me, right? And that was something I never told my team. You just be the leader and keep going and pitching and being lovely. And so they wrote me. And so I blurted out to all my girlfriends in Haiti, oh my God, Sephora just wrote me. And one of my girlfriends who has a castor oil farm, a cooperative in Haiti said they have this Accelerate program. They realized that less than 4% of the CEOs of beauty companies are women. And they basically beauty idol you and help you build, rebrand your company. And so 1800 women apply, only 10 get in. And I decided right there and then that I was getting in that program. And I did it every day for 28 days. I saw myself in Sephora. And when I finally met with my merchants in Toronto, the way I remember, it's more dramatic. I sort of see myself going, I'm not giving you these perfumes, but that's not really how it went. But I, <laughs> I, I went with them and I said, look, I want to get in that program. I want to create a brand new line for Sephora, same oils, same countries, but I want the kind of packaging that my Gen Z and millennial kids would love. And uh, I got in the program 
and they mentored me and guided me. And now we're number one uh, across uh, Canada and the U.S. in the clean uh, space, in the new clean uh, perfumes. And uh, we're now talking to France, where Sephora started. Uh, and that the France one began during COVID uh, because wow. we realized that we can train all our stores virtually across the U.S. and Canada. I can't leave Nova Scotia. It gave me more because we have to quarantine for 14 days if we leave. And it gave me more courage to realize where I thought I couldn't go before, I can go anywhere. <laughs> and so I got a consultant and we, we sought that wisdom and we're doing it. And it's just very exciting. So I, I really think that the idea of really sitting down and having a 28-day plan to visualizing what you need uh, is crucial. And psycho-cybernetics is all about our um, self-beliefs, our um, self-esteem. You can take a beautiful human being that can sing like an angel and she doesn't think she has the right to sing. And it's heartbreaking to watch. Uh, and so I really feel that anybody or anybody in your life who um, has a talent or a wish or a dream and they keep saying they can't do it, you've got to give them a shake and mm. then give them psycho-cybernetics, my book. But uh Really, those are and, and and the meditations and really crucial. There's there's a million other books I love. In fact, everything behind me is all color coded books. I've got Cicero's How to Run a Country, um, the Poetry Remedy, many beautiful books that I love. But uh, yeah, psycho cybernetics. I just saw a uh, quick shout out from Andy Jeffrey. You and I spoke about ah. Andy yesterday, and uh, he just reached out on screen. I think you were his roommate hey, Andy. thirty years ago. Andy used to hug Victor. He's now 25. You would like I have pictures of you holding him. I miss you. Can I get your email after? Does I'll make sure we send that off to you. Him and his uh, this incredible wife Julie are uh, are some of our franchise owners in Alberta. Oh, and they're yeah. Best of the best. So well, uh, I want to make sure Andy. Victor and Ella remember visiting them, and and they would love to be connected with you guys again. I would too. So Barb, a couple things last. Uh, we have an incredible group in uh, the, can the Canadian finance space called WIMI, Women in the Mortgage Industry. And uh, it was put together by three incredible women. Uh, two of them are dear friends of mine. Um, the third one I don't know very well, but uh, uh, um, Suzanne um, uh, Adila Fleur and Holly Strandland. And, and they constantly are working with the uh, female demographic. They work with, obviously, um, you know, men are invited to women as well, but they are leaders and they are, they are so far ahead and they've just done great work for our industry. I would love to be able to offer a program, something that I can do or we can do or you can put on for them in that group, like a special segment, 60 or 90 minute segment that we can yeah. really drill down. Is that something that we can look at doing together? We can do anything. Perfect. Can do anything. I love it. So we're going to do that. Heli or uh, Suzanne, if you're on here right now, reach out to me and we'll set up just a, uh, a group for the women group in Canada. Cause I, I just, I mean, obviously every man in the world should listen. Every man in the world should listen to this. Uh, it is so incredible. Um, but I know that it'll really resonate with your group. So let's do a special event uh, for that. Barb, I want to make sure that you get a uh, proper uh, recognition. And I want people to spread your word. So anyone on here, please subscribe to barbstegman.com. Um, I'd like you to go on. If you're on this call today, I want you to tag me on social media, whether it's Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook. I want you to tag myself and I want you to tag Barb. Barb is one of my friends on uh, Facebook. Tell us what you thought of the Level Up uh, program. Tell us what you thought about uh, Barb. Tell us what your biggest takeaways were. Barb, absolutely incredible. Is there any last minute words that you want to leave uh, all these terrific people with? 
Yeah, I just want uh, uh, to remind everyone not to, like, as you know, Winston Churchill said, never waste a good crisis. And yes, this is still a crisis. I'm not going to pretend it's not hard. Our parents are aging. They're missing out on some of the most powerful months and years of their lives. That's why we play cribbage and backgammon every Friday with our 80-year-old parents. And uh, it's really crucial. But I, I don't want you to waste this window. You're not going to get this window again. We are off the hamster wheel. And we can think. So take this time to be creative. Don't take this time to feel sad that you can't do certain things because soon enough you'll be doing way too much again all over. So please, please see the gift in this very strange crisis. Uh, and when you see the gift, you're going to have all the rewards and there'll be plenty of time to be darting around the city and running to events again. But right now, really, really, really find the blessing in this window because you will never get a break like this again. You wanted this break. You were asking for this break. You were in your car saying, I wish I had time to myself. And now you have it. So take it. Yeah. And the one last thing that I think is really important, and you and I talked about it off uh, screen, was buy local this winter. Buy local. Support your local yeah. merchants, right? The big box, you know, hyper, you know, really, really, you know, giant corporations are going to survive. It's the local mom and pops that are making a massive uh, investment in our communities. Anything yeah. you want to mention on that? Because I know it's very important. Yeah, to you. I'm, I'm worried about a lot of the mom and pop shops. I'm worried about, um, you know, local brands in your province. Uh, anyone who's making something in your province, in your city, buy from them. Canadian, obviously, uh, buy from their website specifically, not Amazon if you can. I know we still have to buy from Amazon because sometimes we can't get to stores and it's not that safe. So I, I get that. I'm not lambasting anyone for it. I do it myself. But where we can, go directly to their website where we can go directly to the little store where we can order in treat yourself and order in from that restaurant that's not getting uh any more visits uh because it's going to be up to us uh to to really lift one another um uh, because i think sometimes when the aid comes it's too late mm -hmm. uh so those of us who can do well virtually um we're blessed uh, but, but some may not. Uh, so let's try to think about that as best we can and, and use that buying power for good uh, locally. Love it, guys. The hashtag is make perfume, not war. Tag uh, barbstegman.com or Gary Morris on any of my, uh, my platforms, please. Uh, I'm going to be sending out the uh, thank you, Barb, for this too. Oh, uh, the uh, link to the actual movie, free of charge, guys. You don't got to spend the five bucks. Go home, watch it with your family, be inspired. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, I want to thank uh, First Canadian Title FCT for uh, being our sponsor on the Level Up series. Really appreciate the good work that you do in the Canadian finance space. I want to remind all of you that on November 24th, Michael Gerber is our guest. Michael Gerber is the author of many books, but his most famous book, one of the top business books ever written and one that will resonate with an entrepreneur more than anything else I've ever read, uh, is called The E-Myth and The E-Myth Revisited. He is a incredible author, world-renowned, and we're super excited about uh, having him. Barb, from the bottom of our heart, on behalf of everyone listening to this podcast, I just want to tell you one more time what a remarkable individual you are. I love who you are. I love what you stand for. And I love what you're doing. 
thank you very much for the good work that you do. And if we can ever do anything for you, I am a, a cell phone message away. I'm a text uh, away. You know, we are here for you. I can't wait to bring you back. I can't wait to do something with uh, Wimmy because I, I just think that we just kind of unraveled, you know, the, the skin of the orange, right? Or the, yeah, yeah, you know, the outside. So I think there's well, a... After yeah, the, I love the questions the, you ask. I love your energy. I love your community. I love seeing everybody's stuff popping up. And I just was really motivated as I spoke to you all. And so thank you for just giving me a big warm hug virtually and yeah. uh, creating the kind of community you have, Gary. Uh, really, really, really thank impressive. You. And uh, Dave uh, doing the tech and just the team you've attracted, the people you've mm. curated in your life uh, is really quite extraordinary. And that's what we do. And that's what you're doing. So I commend mm. you. I was trying to say peel back the onion, not peel back the orange, but my mind doesn't work. It's I'm getting old. It's not that sharp. You can all right. peel back uh, an orange. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Orange. Yeah, exactly. All right, Barb, thank you very much to all of our uh, listeners and viewers. Uh, awesome. Thank you. Thank uh, you this all. was an incredible Level Up series, and uh, I'm thrilled, man. I'm thrilled to have you. Guys, have a great day. Thanks, Post Gary. us on social media. Let us know what you think. And uh, November 24th, we'll see Michael Gerber. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Thanks. Bye.